hoodwinked. Remember the name. Tony finishes off in style. What a start from England. What a start from Wokes. Edge done gone. Hello and welcome back to Edge and Gone, the podcast where we talk all things cricket. I'm joined by rising star in journalism, Emily Marshall. How are you, Em? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Long time since we've done this and it's nice it to be has. back. I mean, we started off strong with three episodes and then we took a prolonged break, uh, but we're back now um, and we're going to be back back stronger. We're going to try and do an episode each week if uh, Emily's dissertation doesn't get in the way although it's on cricket so technically this could count as like research which is brilliant yeah no we can put the disc to one side for for an hour I can for go. an hour and it has been a good week for cricket uh not such a good week for england cricket but we'll get into that um obviously some news coming out today that faf de plessis has decided to retire from test cricket uh i mean he stepped down the south africa captain earlier in the year to to prioritize the younger players coming through and now he's decided to focus more on the white ball side of the of the game with the T20 World Cups coming up in consecutive years this this year and next year. So what are your views then? What do you think about Faf retiring from Test cricket? Honestly, uh, sad because he was like one of the South African greats of recent years. He's an incredible batsman. Um, but you could just sort of tell when um, he stepped down as captain that he was a sort of guy that had the weight of the world on his shoulders and there was points um, against England where he did he looked like he did as well, um, and I think when he stepped down, that was that was one thing. And then I think every player knows when it's time. They all say that you know when you know you know. And I think he did just he just woke just woke up one day and thought actually no. Um, he put a statement out that he wanted this isn't his retirement from all international cricket. He wants to focus on the World T Twenty in October. Um, so yeah, it's sad because he's a great player. Um, and you sometimes struggle to see where South Africa's next great player is coming through. They've got they've got a lot of young talent, but um, when they played England, their team didn't necessarily maybe click. Um, or there's not that one rising star coming up, unlike there is in some teams. But yeah, South Africa will be they'll be fine. But it's it's a big loss for their team. He's a even though he did step down as captain, he was a great leader. He's a he's a great batsman and he's a great guy as well, from what I've heard. Yeah, the South Africa team will definitely be weaker as a result. I mean, he hit his test high score in December. Uh, he was one short of that double century, uh, which I'm sure would have would have played on his mind quite a lot over the last few months. But you know, he's still he's still got a few years left in the tank, and obviously, hopefully, he'll be hoping to guide South Africa to World T Twenty glory. I don't know if it will happen. Um, obviously, they have an exciting, quite exciting white ball team that were absolutely demolished by England, which is a good good starting point for England uh, but yeah I'm just you know it's a shame and he averaged good average just over 40 and it's a loss for Test Cricket but it's again Test Cricket's loss is, is ODI and T20's game um, but yeah I'm I'm sure he'll come back stronger in the white ball side now moving on to England um, we're going to have to address the elephant in the room here and which was the the demolishing defeat by the Indians at Chennai uh, finished on Tuesday morning. Um, I woke up at seven o'clock to see if it was worth getting up. Saw that we were one hundred and fifty odd for nine. and went back to sleep. I must admit, um, did miss an absolutely explosive cameo from Moe and Ali, which we'll get onto in a bit. Um, but what were your thoughts on the game? Obviously, it was a bit of a crash down to earth after that emphatic victory last week. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts? 
it's obviously disappointing um, after, like you said, that amazing win that England had. Um, thought things were going in a really good direction for England then. Um, and then I think that's, that's the norm with any with all England teams. You get crashed back down to earth. You get your hopes and dreams uh, shattered again. But yeah, no, obviously disappointing. Um, I just don't think England applied themselves as well as they did in the first game. Um, there was things that went their way in the first game that didn't go their way. Um, in this game so they won the toss in the first game and obviously lost it in the second game and that is quite a big, big factor in why they lost um, undoubtedly but they just didn't really apply themselves um, they were outplayed by India um, in their home conditions and they knew how to play them conditions perfectly which is that's the home advantage that we talk about so often in cricket um, so yeah it wasn't impossible to bet on the pitch we're obviously going to talk about the pitch later uh, but yeah I don't think I think they could have done better than they did. I do think India deserved, obviously, undoubtedly deserved the win and probably were going to win the whole way through. But I think it was a very big, disappointing win. It could have been maybe a bit of a closer fought contest if they yeah. just applied themselves a bit better. I think the thing that's, that stands out for me is just the the emphatic nature of the victory for India. Obviously, mm. it was for over 300 runs deficit uh, at the close of play after the 10th wicket fell in England's second innings. And, you know, it was very clear after India's second innings that they were going to win. But it was just a case of England had over two days to bat. You know, they didn't have to throw away their wickets like I felt some of the batsmen did. You know, Ollie Pope, reverse sweeping to, to square leg when he could have put on a performance just to sort of stake his place in the team. Uh, and the openers as well, Sibley fell very cheaply when it could have been a sort of it was an ideal situation for him where he could just bat as long as he wanted and he sort of edged one to, to slip off, off the spinner again. Burns as well, you know, he's something that I think we should talk about. Obviously, he came back into the side after being away for the Sri Lanka tour, um, which was a real chance for Zach Crawley sort of to, to stake his claim to open. Um, obviously, he is an opener in first-class cricket for Kent and he has stated his intent to, to open the the batting for England so he was given the opportunity but he failed to grasp it I think he averaged under 10 in that tour so Burns walked back into the side and hasn't really done much at all I think his, his score of 25 in the in the second innings of England in the second test was his highest um, and I just think England are sort of going back to a situation where they're struggling for for an opener again uh, yeah, it's a pretty familiar um, situation for England and has been for a few years. We, th we thought we'd finally cracked it uh, with Sibley and Burns. And I do think in England that, that they will be a very good partnership and they've proven that they can be a great partnership. And in South Africa, they did as well. Uh, but in India, it just hasn't um, come together as nicely as it did um, over in England over summer. Um, I'm not counting Burns out yet. I think he's got a few innings left. I mean, he is a great player and he's shown that he's got the grit and the determination him and Sibley are a good partnership. He, Burns plays a bit more um, fluidly, maybe, a bit more freely, uh, whereas Sibley's there to, to bat out, to block. And that, that both, of the, both of them know their games um, inside out, and that works great. Uh, Sibley's a bit safe at the moment, you would say. Um, the other thing I would say is that England have actually got more options for openers than they've ever had before but they're still struggling with the opening partnership. So I think it will be time soon to get Crawley in, to give him his chance as well, because the options are there. Um, so making use of them is, is what they're there for. So, yeah, it, it's a situation we've known before, but they've actually never had the options behind 
Before, it's always been, well, we'll stick with him because no one's knocking down the door. And even though Crawley's not absolutely pounding the door down, um, he has proven himself for England before, so why not give him a go? Like I say, it's an opener at Kent. Um, one thing that is quite interesting is another option, as you're probably massively in favour of knowing you, is Ben Folks maybe opening, if that if that's the space for him in the team when um, come England or come the Ashes later on in the year when Butler's actually back in the team. Um What's your thoughts on maybe folks opening? I mean, I did mention it yesterday to you and I was sort of half joking because I had sort of read something half joking that, you know, we need to incorporate him in the team and the only way we're going to do that is is his opening. But I just think that that would be ridiculous. I mean, I've given it some thought overnight and I just I don't understand why that would work. Obviously, he has proven his class batting in Asia. Obviously, he... Um, he scored his maiden test century on his debut in Sri Lanka. He batted very well for his 42 or not out in the first innings, which saw England avoid the follow-on. Um, and he did sort of show that he can do that sort of ugly sort of blocking out and only scoring very periodically um, in that 42 not out. On a difficult pitch that all the England batsmen seem to fail on, obviously Joe Root in the form of his life fell for six. So, you know... That, Folks' ability as a batsman should not be discounted, but you know he's not an opener, and it, and it would be a classic England thing to do, wouldn't it, to 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 thrust him to the top of the order just so they can incorporate him in the team. I think we will get onto the wicket keeping debate a little bit later on. But another thing I've seen thrown around, and it's been mentioned again today by Steve Harmison, is uh is actually Johnny Burstow opening the batting uh for the third test. I don't know your thoughts on that. Um, I'm not opposed to the idea actually. I haven't. I hadn't really given it much thought, like I hadn't really given the folks thing much thought because I thought it was absolutely ludicrous until you mentioned it to me. Um, but yeah, no, it's not something I'd really thought about. But like, yeah, if, I mean, if you're coming in at number three, then not really a massive difference, I would sometimes say, especially with England, like most of the time we're 10 for one or something anyway. So number three is not massively different to opening, which is the problem that Joe Root had. Um, he felt he wanted to be at four because he felt that sometimes at three he was basically an opener anyway. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a great, great, great batsman. So I definitely wouldn't say no. Um, I'm not sure it's a long-term option, but it's not it's not a mad, mad thing to think at all, no. Especially if maybe Lawrence is maybe proving himself at three or Crawley at three, then um, you never know, no. Yeah, because obviously Bairstow opens for the White Wall teams. And if you yeah. look at, not comparing the two, but if you look, Rohit Sharma came in and started opening I for wish. India. 160-odd in the second test was absolutely yep. magical. Um, so maybe it's worth a shout. I mean, I don't know if he's actually opened in his career before, so it would be just something new for him probably. Mm. Uh, but, you know, that seems to be the best place to do it, is England seem to think that, you know, India away in the third test when there's a series still to play for is the chance for that to be taken then. You know, and I think with Bairstow, he's proven in the past that he doesn't really care. He just wants to play for England. That's his goal, you yeah. know. Um, obviously, that's that's all he's wanted to do his whole life. I think I've, he, he's mentioned it. I read his autobiography and he mentioned that, you know, his goal since he was younger was just to play for England. So, And he's the type of player that would do a job for you wherever he's asked to, to, to go. He'd, he'd yeah. give his all. Yeah, he's the type of player that he just adapts in, like, every situation that you give him. Like, he's so hungry to play for England. And you can see that when he gets dropped and when the gloves were taken off him. I think a lot of people are like, oh, he's just like a soppy kid. No, like To me, that's passion. Like That's him 
having his dream not taken away from him but having something he's worked so hard for which i know happens all the time but i don't think we can i don't think we can victimize these people for not being happy about it in the media because that's like wrong he's every right to be unhappy about it and be angry at it he works so hard and it it means so much to him and not that it doesn't mean any much to all the other boys because it does but it just just does mean like so so much to him after everything he went through with his dad and like you said i've read his autobiography and it just like hounds home like how much he wanted to play for england so yeah he would if they told him he would bat 11 not not bowl um and he'd feel up fine leg he'd he'd be there and he would give everything to that shirt like they all do but yeah he would totally adapt to the situation. And like you said, all he wants to do is play for England. So, and I really like him. I like him as a player. I think he's great. I think he gets a hard time. That, that into, I come back to every podcast I feel because it still is such an issue within me that like people had to go at him because he said he was unhappy about having the gloves taken off him. I mean, if he wasn't unhappy, I'd be questioning why he wants to play for England because I'd be questioning, well, do you have the drive? But I know, like, when I get taken off a netball court, I'm like, oh, that's annoying. And I'm not, I play at club level. Like, I don't play for England. So, like, no, I am wearing my England netball shirt, though. So, like, Seth might mistake me for playing for England. But I'll just point out, I don't play for England netball. But, yeah, so I can't imagine having it taken off at, like, national level. Like, that would have hurt him. So, yeah, I, I go back to this every week that people having to go in for being angry about that, absolutely not valid. I think it shows just exactly what you've just said, the passion that he has. And, like, yeah, going back to the actual original point of him being an opener, n- not an awful bad idea. Um, probably not his favourite position, but he'll he'll do anything to be in an England shirt, and that's great. I love that. Yeah, I think... I don't think it's quite time for that yet, although I think it's not a bad idea. I think Burns has got enough credit in the bank to, to open the batting for mm. that third test. Obviously, he has scored test hundreds before, and he's the first opener to score a thousand runs since since obviously Alistair Cook. So I think obviously he's not been in the greatest run of form. He hasn't been in the greatest run of form since the Pakistan series last summer. But I think people sort of forget that before that he sort of averaged forty five against the West Indies, although it's in home conditions. His his test his test career is still sort of in its early stages, and you know I I don't think many people, but you know a few. After that Ashes series, when people were sort of questioning Root's captaincy, people were sort of touting him as a future England captain, Rory Burns. And I know there was very few people, but sort of to go from that, you know, to not even two years later, to now people, you know, recommending someone who's been in and out of the England side for the past three or four years to then open instead of him. Mm. I think, you know, one thing he does need is a haircut. I have to say that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes, yes, he looks yes, like a yes, pirate. yes, yes. <laughs> looks horrendous. Sorry, maybe, Rory, if you're listening. Yeah, <laughs> maybe if he has his hair cut, then maybe he can score another 100. I don't know. We'll have to see. That's pro. I do yeah, like no, the I'm look. Not, I'm not cutting him out yet. And I, I do sort of make... I don't, I don't necessarily agree, but I see the logic behind future England captains. Captain, sorry, before. Got a good good head on his shoulders, definitely. Um but yeah, I'm I'm not counting him out just yet. And like you said, someone I don't I don't think opening is the ideal role for Johnny. But if it absolutely came to it, I wouldn't be thinking, oh god, this is absolutely mad. I just don't think it's right for that England team at the moment. So yeah, I just want to clarify that I don't think Rory Burns should be the England captain over Joe Root at the moment. I was. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, I'm not clarifying that either. Like, I don't want I'm people saying... to think that's my opinion because imagine that Joe Root in the form of his life, yeah, young 
Birmingham student wants root out for Rory Burns, who was, hasn't scored a 50 in eight innings or something. No, I just... Uh, but I do like the look of Burns, and um, I'll always remember his uh, his maiden test century at Edgebaston mm. in the Ashes. It was Me a too. beautiful. It was a beautiful knock. It was the and that was like the first test match that I'd watched since the the World Cup final. So obviously, I sort of was relatively new to test cricket. So that sort of is something that always always sit with me. Uh, but I think Burns and Sibley have proved that they work well together. Like you said, they sort of do complement each other. You know, Burns more attacking, if you can call it that. Uh, he looks to play with a bit more intent, whereas Sibley's happy just sort of sit back and absorb balls, which is what it's the perfect opening duo. Um, uh, I'm not calling Burns and Sibley the perfect opening duo, uh, but I think there is potential there to sort of develop a sort of long term answer to England's opening quarrels, which that you know they have been together for what 18 months now since that New Zealand tour. Um, mm. So I think it is it is worth giving him a bit longer, um, giving him this in- India test. Unless he goes for a first ball duck every the next two innings, unless something awful happens, but yeah, I don't. I think talking about Bairstow, do you think he should come back into the team? Do you think he should replace Lawrence at three or Pope at five or what do you think? Um, so I did actually write my team and I ha- I have put Bairstow in it. Um, he's at three for me. Um, so he's replacing Lawrence. I don't know, like I feel for Dan Lawrence because I think he's got so much potential, and I think he will he will have a um, a start in eleven uh, position in in years to come for England. But I think Bairstow is such a great player of spin. He bats really really well with Joe Root. Um, he can control an innings really well. He's just a great player, and I think he does just walk back into my team um, at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to Yours? agree. Oh yeah, I'd. I'd... I'm not sure because obviously Zach Crawley is coming back in as well and England have favoured him at three. Um, obviously they did in the home summer um, mm. and then he was opening in Sri Lanka, Bairstow at three. Um, obviously he was unfortunate that he slipped on the hotel floor, wasn't it, and he injured his wrist so he was out for two yeah, games. Yeah, so mad. Uh, which is, you know, you're about to play your first test in India, someone that hasn't really proved himself in Asia yet and then you, you do that. But I'm not sure whether it should be Crawley or Bairstow because... The way I see it is it sort of, it, it will give me an idea of what England are looking at, whether they're looking to just sort of short-term solutions or long-term solutions, because obviously Bairstow, he's, he's not getting any younger. Um, mm. And Crawley obviously is touted as a, a future star, obviously he made that incredible 267 against Pakistan in the summer. And he has looked like he can be you know, an England batsman for the next 10, 15 years. And it looked like he can be an incredible player. Um, so it's a difficult decision for the team to make. You know, whether you go with Bairstow, who will probably perform better, you know, he's an incredible player of spin. But Bairstow's not going to be in the team, the test team for much longer, obviously. He's, I don't know whether he wants to, but in my opinion, he should start focusing on white ball cricket coming up to two World Cups. He can... He can go down as an England legend for T20 if you know he, if he can win England the T20 World Cup. He has the potential to do that, you know. And in the Test team, I don't think he has such a major influence on the Red Bull team as he does on the White Bull team. Whereas with Crawley, mm. it's sort of the opposite. Crawley's young in his career, you know, he's proven himself, but he needs to really sort of justify his selection, which is ridiculous from someone that hit a double century in like the like the previous Test he played, but. <laughs> It's just the way England are at the moment, and I think 
we do need to start investing for the future. And I think I would actually start Crawley over Bairstow. But obviously, Bairstow's an incredible player of spin. I'm not denying that. And I can understand why they'd pick him. But are you going to be picking Bairstow in the Ashes later this year? Are you going to be picking him next year? It's You've got to start thinking about these things. And, and obviously, I'm sure England will be. But I don't want to seem as if England are just sort of short-term solutions. And if they were then I don't understand why someone like Keaton Jennings isn't in the squad. Yeah, like, Keaton Jennings is is an incredible player of spin. Um, in my mind, I, I don't want short-term um, fixes for England. I want I want to work towards the future. Um, you don't get anywhere if you keep just putting short-term players in. But for the moment, yeah, I get I get your Crawley point. Um, and I, I get your Bairstow point, but I just would play Bairstow. Um, I'm happy maybe, maybe Bairstow at five, Pope out. I don't know, it's... Yeah, so many choices, but I, I like Pope at five. Um, I would I would like to keep Pope in. I would like Pope and Besto. I'm not gonna lie. Crawley, I'm afraid doesn't get a, doesn't get a game this test, which is hard. But it's just so it's, it's a conundrum, isn't it? England's back in order. Another batting, well, batting keeping conundrum that England will have to face this summer when they've got all everyone's free. There's no rotation going on. Everyone's everyone's available will be the keeper um debate when we play some tests this this year in england which i'm very excited for obviously um there's a lot of um debate about if folks should keep if butler should keep obviously folks will probably keep in the next test against india because butler's going home for his rotation so yeah what what are your thoughts on the folks butler i feel like every time this debate's put to bed it arises somehow i feel like after the sri lanka tour Butler had kept the best he'd kept in his test career. He batted decent. Mm. So everyone's sort of, right, right, Butler is is the way forward. And then obviously they've implemented this rotation policy, which we'll talk about more and our thoughts on that in a, in a bit, in a while. Uh, but then obviously Butler played the first test and he played okay. Um, he, he can't really complain. He, he put in a mm. solid performance. Um, not so with the bat, which, you know, which is part of the reason he's in the team over folks. And then he's gone out. So folks has had the opportunity to come in and he took it. I mean, he he affected three stumpings, which is more than Joss Butler has in his entire test career. Like, he, he seemed to make things happen. And I I know I hate it when I say that because it's like, yeah, he just makes things happen. But he We're does, always you know. Like, it's a cricketer that makes things happen. But he created wicket opportunities, which Joss Butler would have not done. And that's what you want from your wicket keeper because... Yes, Joss Butler might be better bats-wise, but he hasn't really proven his potential on the test level yet. I mean, he's hit a couple of hundreds, but Ben Folkes is handy with the bat. You know, he's got a test hundred. He hit that 42 not out, as we spoke about earlier, to allow England to avoid the follow-on. And he is just the better keeper. And, you know, it's when Adam Gilchrist is, is com- complimenting you, then you know that you're a decent keeper, you know. So it's it's a difficult one because I quite like Ben Folks, and one thing I did notice, he's very loud behind the stumps, you know, and you know Butler is to an extent, but but Folks was constantly at it and constantly trying to keep those energy levels high. And Matt Pryor on the Talksport commentary was sort of talking about that and saying, well, that's the role that the keepers in the in the team to do. It is a lot more noticeable with Ben Folks, you know, yeah. that put together with his wicket keeping skills, you know, he's. Obviously, the reason he was brought into the England team, first of all, in 2018 in Sri Lanka, was because of his keeping skills. And then, obviously, he's brought back in now 
for a different reason for Butler going home. But, you know, he had a chance and he could have sort of not taken it, been decent, but, you know, it's probably the best performance by an England wicketkeeper in a long time. You know, three stumpings away from home on a pitch like that is immense. And, you know, he could have had more. He obviously had that Sharma, Rohit Sharma opportunity in the first innings, which should have been given out, but it wasn't. And then he missed he missed a couple of, you know, and he was standing up to Stuart Brawl's bowling, which is immense. You know, you would never see Butler do that. So I don't know, it's difficult. It is a very difficult debate. And I really like Joss Butler. I think he's a brilliant player. He's like the X Factor player. <laughs> you know, he always brings something to the table. He makes things happen. Yeah, but you know, Ben Folks makes things happen in a very different way. Um mm. he's a lot more sort of he seems like the modest, the more calm, calm head and you know, it, it always goes down to that debate. Well, do you pick a wicket keeper because, you know, he's a good keeper because he's the best keeper? Or do you ki- do you pick him nowadays because he can get runs on the board? And, you know, India have a very similar situation with Pant and, and Saha. And Australia do also with Payne. They've picked him because he's the best wicket keeper available. So, I don't know. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, actually. I, I think I'm... I don't know which team I want. I can't, I can't say because... You know, it'd be interesting to see how folks gets on in the next two tests. Um, and then they can obviously make a decision for the English summer. But there was a reason that folks was dropped in the first place. And I don't know. Mm. I don't know. So what's your thoughts on it? Well, Butler's keeping has improved massively over the past year. Like the, um, I'll be the first to sit here and say that 18 months ago, I was calling for Johnny to have the gloves 100% because Butler's keeping just wasn't, it was it was good, like it just wasn't amazing and he was having a hard time with the bat as well, so it was sort of I suppose it was easy to be like butler out, but his keeping has improved so, so much and you can see that every test he plays he's getting better and better and better. Um they obviously rate his batting highly and I do I do rate it much more than I did, but I don't know there's something about folks that he's he's great, he's really good. He's a great player of spin. Um, he's just just a great great batsman. Um, a lot of experience for Surrey and has played for England. And he is the best wicket keeper I've seen in the world at the moment. Um, his his glove works incredible. His hands are so quick. He's great behind the stumps, like you said. I feel like he lifts the team another level. Um, I do. I hear Butler a lot. Um, I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, when I've I've heard folks a lot as well. Um, when he's playing for Surrey, he's actually think being a test wicketkeeper, the keeping is actually only a quarter of your game. So if if they're happy with the way Butler's keeping, which I am as a fan, like I don't really think he makes like so many errors that I'm like, yeah, get out. So yeah, no, I, I'm sticking with Butler at the moment. I, God, I never thought I'd say that. Two years ago, the Emily Marshall would not have been saying that. God, I've come a long way. <laughs> You've opened my eyes, Seth. But Butler's come a long way as well. And it's, I think... Yeah, true, yeah. I can understand why they pit both of them. Uh, obviously, if this if this debate was around forty years ago, then folks would be and there'd be no questions because the role of the wicketkeeper was to keep; it wasn't to bat. Um, but England obviously want a long uh, a shorter tail, um, so they obviously want Butler in at, at seven to sort of provide some quick runs. But he has majorly improved his game. Um, you know. I think the problem was, it wasn't that he was batting badly, he was just batting in white ball mode in red ball cricket. And from even from watching uh, Test cricket from 2019 in the Ashes, obviously when Bairstow had the gloves, and then 
Butler reclaimed the gloves through a bit of luck and then he was injured and then he came back and the improvement in his batting has just has stood out to me and for someone that you know isn't the most technical watcher of cricket if you know I can see that his technique is definitely a lot more patient then you know he's obviously worked very hard on it but it'll be interesting to see like I said if folks you know folks basically has the next two games to sort of make himself undroppable um, and he obviously it, the ball's in his court at the moment he Butler is still the first choice but if folks goes out and has a game similar to he did in the second test that's just finished then England aren't going to be able to turn around and say oh well uh, Joss uh, here's the gloves again even though folks he's just you know, scored four hundred runs and yeah, affected fourteen stumpings. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is difficult, but it's a good problem to have. I mean, mm. I feel like God. How many times do we hear that? This is a great <laughs> problem to have. <laughs> not when you're trying yeah. to analyze it. It's not. My brain oh, is no. fried. <laughs> but obviously, I feel like the debate now has come back around when you know these two wicket keepers at the strength of their powers. Obviously, like I said, Butler's performance in Sri Lanka behind the stumps was the best he's been as test keeper. Um, it's not as if Butler's playing really badly. Folks has averaged 12 yeah. in the county championship. Bairstow's focusing on white ball cricket. It's the fact that Butler and Folks both are, you know, have, a, have a claim to the gloves and it's going to be unfair to drop one of them. But, I mean, when Butler's back, I think the next test after this is the, the New Zealand test in in June which I actually have tickets to it's going to be my first live test game I think I'll probably expect to see Butler behind the stumps um, which I wouldn't be annoyed at I do really like Butler um, and hopefully but yeah I just hope that the decision they make is the right one and it sort of puts the debate to bed if Butler has a poor game then you know all the people are going to be calling for folks to come back or vice versa I just feel like and I expect to see you at the bar, buy me a drink at that test match. <laughs> well, they've gone in the hollies, so that'd be exciting. I'm just hoping that we can actually go. You know, it's uh, yeah, that'd be nice. Hopefully by June, I've put faith in the vaccine. But uh, this isn't a medicinal podcast. We won't talk about that. We don't talk. We try not to talk about COVID because no. we both agree that both of our lives are summoned by it. Because it feels every every email you get from the uni is all about COVID. Like, granted, it is all around the world. And I completely get that our lives are summoned by it, but we try and not talk about it because this is edged and gone, not edged. jabbed and gone. <laughs> jabbed and well. <laughs> jabbed and woohoo. Yeah, so obviously that's like one of the biggest um, debates at the moment in England. But another player that's facing debate, not necessarily around his positioning the team just about his general cricket career is Moeen Ali who is unfortunately in the media a lot recently um through no nothing he's done or anything like that just through lots of different things because he contracted covid on the way to Sri Lanka no one's really sure how um, but yeah anyway he had to isolate for two weeks which is obviously a tough a tough ask a lot of people have done it and everyone would say that it's a tough thing to do especially hotel room on your own uh you're far away from your family where everyone else you they can go out and train and yesterday at the post-match interview that joe wrote did he said oh yeah i can confirm that mo and ali has chosen to go home um which it said joe roots had a his captaincy over the last six months has been absolutely brilliant you're allowed to I'm going to let him off for say, miss saying one word and just misusing his word. He was coming off a, a really big defeat that England were obviously gutted about 
you get scrutinised at post-match. He'd done so many media interviews and he just said the wrong word. And to his credit, he's come out and he's apologised. I'm never, ever going to say a bad word against Joe Root. So if all you're all here saying that, oh, no, it's the worst thing he's ever done, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I will never, never say a bad word about Joe Root unless he deserves it. And I don't think he does at the moment. Uh, but yes, obviously he said Marinelli Marinelli has chosen to go home, and that's that's probably that's not true. It's a bit of a not a confusing situation, but there's a, there's a lot a lot of being thrown around. So it was a prearranged agreement that he would go home after the um, second test, and then he's going to come back for the T20 because it's important to get that preparation for the World Cup in October, November in India. Uh, but he was asked and requested by Ed Smith. He asked if would you like to stay, um, and Moeen said no. Actually, I. I I, I don't think he probably, I don't think he came out and said no I don't want to stay I think he probably there was a part of him that did want to stay but if you've already told you he's got a really young family his wife's just had a kid um he's already missed quite a lot um he's been away from his family for god knows however long probably hasn't seen them much over the last 6 months so it was either well, do I let my team down let my family down and I don't think he can be reprimanded for the decision he's made to go home and obviously, Joe Root, he didn't say the right thing and say, yeah, Mo and Ali's chosen to go home. And he's later come out and said that that was wrong, which is, which is fine. Everyone makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Uh, but there was a lot of a lot of questions about, well, why has he chosen to go home? You're playing for England, you shouldn't choose to go home. You should wear the shirt with pride. You should take every opportunity. People would kill to have what you have. And I think that's absolutely disgusting, personally. Like... He's been hung out to dry a few times in his career and it's. I feel so sorry for the poor bloke. He goes through so much. He's been thrown under the bus. Um, he's gone through so much isolation. He had to go through the added isolation um, period. And it's just, yeah, like, I think he was put in an impossible decision by Ed Smith. I think Ed Smith probably... I think the, the decision to ask him in the first place if he wanted to stay is not OK. I think the, the conversation could have gone a bit differently as um, we understand... Obviously, we don't know how the conversation went, but it certainly sounds like it was asked to stay and he felt very much torn between what to do. Because um, if you've told your family, your wife and your kids that you're going to go home and then you ring them up one one afternoon from India and say, actually, I'm going to stay, then um, I get that's putting your career first. And I get so many people have to do that and so many people have to make those sacrifices. But this is a jam-packed year in cricket and I just think then he's... If you're rotating... Rotating players, other players have had the chance to go home and they weren't asked to stay and things like that, then it's just a bit like, oh, well, if I, I've been asked to stay and no one else hasn't, I'll say no to going home, but others get the chance to go home. And you don't know how detrimental it will be. In a few weeks, he might come back to the T20s and have the best T20 series of his life and be like, that going home was the best thing I could have done. So you never know what's going to happen, but I just I just think the, the mismanagement in England is coming out again we've spoke about it before i think um they've handled a few situations not great um over the past four three four years um they've got better but i just i think it's another instance of mismanagement and it's a shame because it always seems to be mo it always seems to be johnny and mo that it sort of happens to um joffra's had a bit of it but yeah it always seems to be mo and johnny um and i just i just feel for the bloke um there's a lot of problems now. People flying around that this is gonna that was his farewell test and that was the last time we'll see him in England Whites. And I really, really hope it's not. And it really shouldn't be. But there's a part of me that can't help thinking that it it might be. The next test in Asia is is quite a long long way away. Um, and he is a great he's great player. And he's a great spinner. Um, he's he's a real white ball asset to England. Um, 
feel England want to move in a different direction in Red Bull and that they're trying to, but I think Moe just keeps banging the door down and being like, no, I'm I'm still here. And Moe says himself he's got every aspiration to still play all three formats of the game. Uh, but yeah, um, you've wrote brilliantly on our Google Doc that we share. Um, Moe's constantly used an example of as inclusivity, but always seems to be the scapegoat. And that's so, so true. The, the England team is absolutely hung on a pedestal for having um, three, four Bain players in their ranks. And that's great. That's brilliant. And I'm, I'm so glad that they show diversity and that to some extent their team reflects modern multicultural Britain than a lot more than other um, sports teams do, and especially cricket teams in the UK. But but then he's always the, seems to be the one that's hung out to dry and thrown under the bus. And he's always the one that gets the backlash of everything. It's just, oh, I just feel for him so much. Like my heart actually breaks. I just want to like scoop him up Hug him, bring him home to his family, and tell him that everything will be okay. It's just, but yeah, there you go. That's my thoughts. Yeah, it's just a comedy of errors. Um, obviously, you know, it was decided that Moeen would go before the Sri Lanka tour. You know, and then obviously, COVID comes into the situation. He has to isolate. He hasn't been home since he's had COVID. I think that's what a lot of people mm, are sort of forgetting. Yeah. He's travelled from Sri Lanka and he's had to spend ten days in Sri Lanka in isolation, and then he's gone straight to India. He hasn't been able to see his family. You know. It's, um, after you know, having COVID, um, which I think had a, a huge impact on him, you know, he sort of said that he wouldn't wish it on his worst enemy. So obviously has has inf- impacted him quite a lot. And then obviously he has a very ropey relationship with Ed Smith, the national selector. Anyway, I think when Ed Smith was first chosen as selector, he sort of came out very early on and was very negative about Moeen and sort of used him as a scapegoat, like you were saying early on. This is before he'd even played a game under him. And I remember back to the twenty nineteen Ashes where Moeen sort of got absolutely pumped he, he, in the in the first test and he was used as a scapegoat. He then decided to take a break away from Red Bull cricket. And the one thing that's given me hope that he might come back is that after that 2019 Ashes, he sort of, it was sort of talked about that that's his last chance in an England shirt. And obviously here he is now. And he played, I'm not going to say brilliantly, he played well in the, in the second mm. test. He was England's top wicket taker and he scored the most runs. Obviously, very explosive innings at the end and I think that's why people are sort of a bit sure because he just sort of went out and was like I'm just going to have a bit of fun here he was very close to scoring the fastest ever test half century you know that would have been an amazing way to bow out Mm. but the way England are looking like you said they're looking at playing one spinner at home they're looking to play one spinner away when they go to Australia and although it's arguable that Moeen is the best England spinner at the moment I mean there could be an argument that Jack Leach is actually better than him spinning the ball but Obviously, in the summer, they went with Don Bess all summer. Um, you know, they left Moeen out of that. And then, you know, if Jack Leach is there um, and he's performing consistently, then Moeen, it might be time for Moeen to focus on white ball cricket. But it's oft- it's often forgotten with Moeen as well that, like, he's ha- he's more than handy with the bat. Like, he is a genuine all-rounder. You know, he- His cover drive is one of the best in the business. I love watching Mo bat is great. Like, we saw it the other day, like the shots he can play, the power he has behind them. And he can sort of play both roles. Like, he's he is good at, like, sticking around. He will dig in to make a partnership. But then when you need need the flurry, that he comes along and he's great. Moeen is one of my favourites to watch. And, yeah, like you say, it's like, it'd been a great way to bow out, but I, I, I hope it's not him bowing out. Me, I don't want that to be the last time I see him in an England test shirt. But I think the direction that England will go might mean that it unfortunately is. Um, and that, that is hard. And that's hard for any player, but especially when, 
like for us we've watched cricket for a while and we've we've seen the triumphs of Mo and we've seen the downs and everything that he's had to go through with Ed Smith, like you say. And you just feel that God, it's one pro- it's like it's another issue, another issue, another issue for him that the, the guy never gets a break. No, he doesn't. He, <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't get a break playing cricket. He doesn't get a break from the media. He doesn't get a break in in the dressing room or anything. Not 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 the dressing room is in like everyone in there, but he doesn't get a break from the the management and anything like that. So it, it's it's really hard. And I think I think if he'd have stayed, that would have taken his toll. Is that would have taken a toll because also he'd have had to live with not seeing his family since he went to Sri Lanka. He'd have had to live with the thought of letting his young family down. And you have to remember, like. As much as these are professional cricketers, granted they're paid a lot to do what they do. They're human beings. At the end of the day, they're just they're just like me and you. They're they miss, like I've been in Birmingham now. I've been at uni. Been back since January, and it's nearly the middle of the March. It's my birthday the other week, and like if I said I I was wasn't missing my family or like missing being at home sometimes, I'd be lying. Um, and I can't imagine being the other side of the world, having COVID, being in isolation, having all that pressure on you. I think. When the families are able to be with the um, the players on tours and in England, that's actually such a, a big thing. Um, I don't often agree with Kevin Peterson, but if you read his autobiography um, and he'll discuss about Jonathan Trott and he said all he needed was his wife over in Australia and it was, it was England who were like, no, 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 we can't have partners over there. They're not allowed to come until the fourth test match. It's a distraction. And then as soon as his wife came over, something changed, but then... When she gone, that that was it. Or I th- oh, maybe his wife didn't even get the chance to be over there because he he withdrew before that. But anyway, it was um, you can't you can't live with knowing that you've let your family and your wife down like that. That would have that would have been too much for him. So it's almost like yeah, he's can do no wrong for doing right really, uh, which is such a shame. Um, but he's like you say, he's attacked on every element. You know, he he bowled well, but his figures were quite expensive and. He was sort of almost like outed in the media as sort of the scapegoat, and you know, oh, Moeen's bowling expensive again. I think, um, you know, and there is some justification to that because obviously he's playing international cricket in front of millions of people. Um, yeah. So obviously the sporting side's a bit different to sort of this side, which has now come out where you know, and it is just so, it's it's just not even a coincidence that Joe Root, the one mistake he's made, has been talking about Moeen saying he's chosen mm-hmm. to come home, and you know. Yeah. It is just so typical for Moeen. He's always he's always in the news, and it always seems to be for the wrong reasons. But people have to, mm. you know, he's he's won England multiple Test matches before. He's an amazing cricketer that is, you know, arguably one of England's greatest ever spinners. Um, you know, he's an incredible white ball player. You know, he's won the World Cup with England. You know, you just need to give the guy a break, like you say. Um, and I think mental health, especially nowadays, is just so important. Uh, is that the importance cannot be understated, and I think you, you know you forget that, and I think Michael Vaughan sort of has, he's guilty of that. You know, he's tweeted about Moeen recently and sort of hasn't said the greatest things, especially after mm. it came out what Root said the other I think day. He just needs to keep his mouth shut. I'm not gonna lie, the world would be a better place if Michael Vaughan just kept his opinions to himself because they don't make anyone feel better. They're never positive. They bring so many issues into a bad light that really don't need to be said they're rarely right I'm, I'm all for everyone having their opinion but just be a bit bloody nicer about it and i just i just think some of the things he says are so I just, oh god he's insufferable anyway apologies you can cut that out if you'd like but no i'm all for i'm all for a bit of an uh, an unpopular opinion on the podcast <laughs> 
But how good was that ball to Coley in the first innings from Oh, Moe? my Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Only Virat Coley would, like, review that. Yeah. Like, only Virat... That would, it would only be Virat Coley or Steve Smith that would review that ball. What a ball. That look on Virat Coley's face made made my day. It did. It, you know, and it's the one, if that's the one positive we can take away from that test match, I'm all for it. But it was it was perfect. Um, and unfortunately, you're not going to get that from Don Bess. No. <laughs> um, and, you know, the problem with Don Bess, I'll just briefly, is that England are expecting him to learn on the job. You know, what he needs is he needs a couple more years, you know, being in the, being in the county championship. He's not ready to be England's frontline spinner, I don't think, in my opinion. Obviously, his figures would sort of contradict what I'm saying, but... Um, he has been quite lucky, I think. You know, he took a five foot, I remember, in Sri Lanka, and it was the first innings, and he sort of came out and said, well, I'll bowl better than that multiple times in my career, and I haven't got a wicket. Mm. So, I just think England, I hope Eng- this won't happen, but England could be shooting in them, shooting themselves in the foot with their treatment of, of Moeen at the moment, but hopefully I'll be proved wrong. It is difficult because I quite, really like Jack Leach. You know, he's not, he's not the most exciting cricketer, but he's very consistent. And he does a job for the side. He's picked up fourfers in the last few innings, uh, the, especially the second innings that he's bowled in. He's picked up a fourfer in something like four consecutive four, fourth innings now. Which, mm. And he does the job. And it's not pretty, really, but it's what you need in cricket, I think. you know, you, The problem with cricket nowadays is that everyone sort of thinks, oh, you need that X factor, you need that special player, but... You know, you need players like Jack Leach and, and Dom Sibley that will, you know, get the job done, that are traditional, proper cricketers that um, will just, you know, do a job for the team, do a job for the country. And, and yeah, hopefully that they can perform again in the in the coming upcoming tests. Just briefly, um, whilst we're on the topic of the second test, um, don't want to get into this too much because it will just make me too angry. But uh, two things I want to talk about is the umpiring decisions and then the pitch. So we'll go in that order. So umpiring decisions, briefly, a bit of a summary and then your thoughts. Yeah, so umpire decisions first. Not great. Not not the best game of the umpires, we could say. So firstly, Ajinka Rahane was given not out on a dreadful decision. So he's gone um, to play the ball and the bat has hit the floor and England obviously hear that noise. But then the ball ricochets and hits his glove and then ricochets and is caught by Ollie Pope. So that... If you don't agree, that is a wicket. That he's if it's come off the glove, regardless of his bat hitting the floor or anything, the ball has come off his glove, so he's he's out. Um, and England went up absolutely straight away. Pope ran off with the ball, knowing he'd got the wicket. Um, and then England, it was given not out. Um, England reviewed it, and the uh, review was the weirdest thing in the world. He said, oh, "No, it's the noise that you heard was the bat hitting the floor." didn't play the whole thing through um, and just said, no, no, it's not out. Then Joe went up to him and went, can you play it all the way through? And they went, oh, well, we'll, we'll put ball tracking on. But that's not really what we needed. It was uh, pitching miles outside. So I don't understand that. Uh, but can we all just hail Mark Butcher in that moment, please? Because if he hadn't have asked the director to run the ball all the way through, Rahane would be, nobody would know that because... They weren't going to show it unless Mark Butcher asked. They weren't going to show the ball all the way through. Um, so, yeah, that was shocking decision because the third umpire didn't roll the ball the whole way through and didn't see the ball clearly come off the glove and be caught. 
so they were denied a wicket. Thankfully, um, Rahana was bowled two balls later, so it didn't cost them much. Um, and they did get the review back, but like, thank God that he didn't go on to get more runs because if he did, God knows what what would have been said. But yeah, shocking decision. Um, I think it should just be like, like the protocol, like you just roll the ball the whole way through. And if also, I think this is where like review system could be a bit better. Like Joe Root as a captain should be able to communicate with the umpire and be like, no, this is what we've heard. This is what we think the wicket is. You haven't actually looked at that. I'm using a review. Um, could you play the whole ball, please? It's a bit like paying £10 or like paying for McDonald's meal and only getting the chips and not the burger. Like, I think you should get all of it. If, if you're giving a review, you should get the whole ball reviewed. Like, I don't, I don't, that sounds so stupid, but like, that, that, that wasn't what was happening. But anyway, and then the second one was a Joe Root LBW, which absolutely, a ball that absolutely looked like clashing into the stumps was umpire's call on impact. Because um, it was something about him playing a shot or not playing a shot, Seth? Yeah, I think it was, for Joe Roots, I don't think it was about the shot. I think it was just the fact that, for some reason, the impact was umpire's call when it clearly was in line. Um, yeah. It looked like the, the ball was in line with off stump, but it was given as umpire's call because the on-field decision was not out. It was given as... Is not out. Um, you know, we're just demonstrating that we're not biased on this podcast. We are also talking about poor decisions that went in England's favour. So also oh, yeah, Joe, yeah, no, no, Joe totally, yeah. And then there was the other one where Rohit Sharma was uh, was given not out, and then they reviewed it, and it yeah. was LBW, and uh, for so, because he was he was a judge to be playing a shot when the shot was nowhere near the ball. Um, so the umpire was not the best in this test. Uh, hopefully, that will improve in the second test. Uh, and there was another thing with Ben Folks and another stumping which he could have been given, uh, but it wasn't, and it was very borderline. And I think those are a bit more; those are you can't really complain about those because if that was England, then we would be saying it wasn't out, you know. So, but overall, the umpire was awful in this test, um, and it needs to be improved. And the thing is, as well, is the over rate was so slow, and the umpires were doing nothing oh, about God. it. Yeah, so slow. Um, and England bowled so much spin as well. In India's um, second innings, Leach and Beth bowled 33 and 32 overs each, but Stone and Broad only bowled six and nine each. So it's like you should be, should be rattling through that a lot higher. It was just so slow. Yeah, and the umpire was doing very little to, mm. to get it on. So, you know, we need improved umpiring performance because it just doesn't make it enjoyable to watch if the umpire, if you know that some of the decisions are going to be given correct. It's like watching football at the moment with VAR, you know, it just isn't as interesting. Yeah. No. Um, but also, one thing that the umpires could have potentially looked at was the quality of the pitch. Um, it was turning from day one, which is not what you expect from a test pitch. And I think, you know, there will be people that are out there thinking, well, it's just because you're England fans, you know, how many times have India and Asian countries gone over to Ind- England and played on a green seamer? Um, but it's a bit different, you know, if the ball's turning from day one and these are the type of pitches that players like Virat and Rohit have grown up playing on, of course they're going to do better than, than you know, players that have grown up playing on seeming pitches. I don't think we can be, well, I don't think we can be too dismayed about that because it is just mm. one of those things. I think you feel a bit stronger about it, Marshall, but... Um, yeah, no, I don't necessarily think I feel that much strongly about it, like... Turn from first day wasn't ideal, is what I've written in my notes, because it's not, like you said, um, that's what it's what India would have really, really wanted. Um, but I, I, I think it's just one of them things in cricket, like home teams will prepare 
pitches that suit their home team and it is just one of them things that there's nothing you can do about it as an England fan you we know that teams have come over here and we've preferred absolute like green seamers so like Jimmy Anderson can swing the ball absolutely miles so like I'm not gonna sit here and be like it's absolutely ludicrous that India did that because if it's the other way around then I like I, we benefit from it so it's just one of them things that happens in cricket it wasn't ideal at uh, the top it makes the toss a really big thing and so that's down to luck shouldn't be the, the problem is is that when a, a pitch is so bad like that not so bad like that but is prepared in a way that it's turning on day one and absolutely suits one team more than another at the end of the day the result of the game then comes down to a 50 50 chance of whether you call head or tails and that, and that's that's the problem i think um and then india obviously won the toss and then they obviously went on to win the game and the conditions didn't help there and aided them so much and they obviously hindered England quite a lot. England could have applied themselves a lot better, I thought. Um, the argument is, is, well, if Virat and Rowick can bat on it, then why can't England? Well, to, well, they did grow up batting on them pitches and that is their home conditions. But I, st- I, I do see that, well, England didn't need to get rolled so easily. Yeah, um, I think that so was... So it's a difficult yeah. one. It, it's the p- pitches and tosses and away teams and all of that stuff is going to be in contention in cricket for so so long um so we're just another two people add into the add into the opinions of it I, I, the pitch was it wasn't great as an england fan to watch and i'm sure that when india come over to england in the summer it will just give those ground staff extra incentive to produce an absolute road for uh, for anderson to get them swinging you know we can only do it under clouds so we're going to have words Uh-oh. with with the with the big man upstairs to sort with of Met you office. know yeah just some clouds please just so Jimmy can bowl in the only conditions he can bowl in uh, and briefly so the next test coming up uh, starting in just under a week is a day night which will be very interesting England haven't been involved in too many um, so I just like three words from you Emily that you're hoping for the next test well two are going to be Jimmy Anderson because he this is the perfect chance perfect time for him to have a rest and come back with fresh legs sorry this is way more than three words um i don't know where the word is going to be bounce back bounce back england are going to bounce back maybe been the bounce back and if anyone that knows me has listened to this you'll know that is a little mix reference <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah my... jimmy anderson and bounce back i'm ready i'm ready oh and better time zones that's what yes. that's it <laughs> yeah so for me it's going to be distraction because it's starting at nine so i'm just going to sack oh, off yeah, the uni awful. work for five days yeah. Uh, so distraction, uh, comeback, and root. He's going to absolutely love playing with the pink ball, and uh, he's going to hit you know a, an era-defining innings. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Um, it does mean a lot that you've made it all the way through. It's taken a long time to record. Uh, we're a bit rusty after having a few weeks off, but I'm sure that will all be ironed out in the next few weeks. Uh, so thank you very much, Emily. No worries. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be back. I love talking cricket with you. Yes, and I can say the same, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.